Have you ever wondered why some particular songs or jingles just stick in your head? I mean, just like live in there rent-free. Have you ever had that experience? And so we're gonna have a little group participation moment here, and I'm gonna start a jingle, and I'm gonna go out on a limb and bet that you can finish it. You understand what we're about to do here? If, you're, if you know, go like this. All right, here we go. Give me a break, give me a break. It's very unenthusiastic. Ba-da-bum-bum-bum, sweet Caroline. Good times never look so good. Amazing grace. I was really nervous that y'all would sing sweet Caroline louder than amazing grace, but you didn't and you passed, and so that was a test. It's interesting how songs stick in your minds, but not only do we remember songs, but we're prone to remember words that people have said to us, about us, or over us, negative words, failures from our past, shame, regret. We also remember positive words of encouragement, successes from our history, and I don't know about you, but in my life, quite often, the positive and the negative begin to compete in my mind. And sometimes, sometimes I choose the wrong voice. So I know the struggle of competing voices, but what I want you to see tonight through God's word is that there is a far more powerful voice. There is one that is more powerful than any voice that has ever spoken to you before. And it's not a quick fix, nor is it a promise that you will actually escape any battle. But there is a commanding, all-powerful, yet gentle voice that wants to lead you and guide you, protect you and provide for you and remind you that even when you don't see him at work, he's working, always active in your life. And just like the song we see, even when we can't see him, he's working. And what we learned through the book of Ruth, it's the book we've been walking through now for the last couple of weeks, is that God is always on the move, active, involved in your life. And if you've missed the last two weeks of the book of Ruth, don't worry, in about two minutes, I can catch you up on what's happening in the book. And there's three main characters that you've met so far, and all of them are single. Any single people here tonight? Raise your hand. Let me see single people. Raise it up. Look around. This is what you're working with right now. If you don't like this tonight, we got seven other campuses. I pastor Nolensville. You can come check us out. But there's three characters. I'm just joking. Don't do that. There's three characters. One of them is Naomi. And Naomi lives in Bethlehem. It's in Israel. God's people, God's place, God's presence. And there was a famine. And Bethlehem is called the house of bread and praise. But the house of bread and praise is out of bread. Because famines are a judgment from God, he withholds rain, and he's wanting to bring his people back to himself. And Naomi's husband, Elimelech, decided to move his family to go find food. The problem was he was disobeying God. You're never supposed to leave Bethlehem, especially go to Moab. Moab was a foreign place with foreign gods and foreign idols, and in fact, it's birthplace was the result of an incestuous relationship Lot had with his daughter. It was a bad place. You're not supposed to go there. God told his people to avoid Moab. In fact, he called it my washpot. 
not in a good way. And so Elimelech takes his family there, disobeys God, and our boy dies and leaves his wife and his two sons, Malon and Kilion, there. Well, his sons, Malon and Kilion, follow in the bad decision-making pattern of their dad, and they marry Moabite women, Orpah, not Oprah, but Orpah and Ruth. And then 10 years later, they don't have any kids, and they die, and then now you have three widows, all single, all helpless, all hopeless, with no one to provide for them. And Naomi realizes, hey, the famine is over. Let's head back to Bethlehem. So she begins to head back, and Orpah and Ruth go, both want to go with her, and she's like, no, 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 you don't understand. God is against me. Don't go with me. And Orpah says, fine, I'll go back to my people and my gods. But Ruth says, what you, if you've never studied the book, you're probably familiar with these words. She says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Where you die, I will die. And your God will be what? Yes, Ruth becomes a follower of Yahweh. She becomes a Christian. And they go back to Bethlehem, and they arrive. And everybody's like, hey, what's up, Naomi? Who's the Moabite? What's going on? And she's like, hey, don't call me Naomi anymore, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because I left here full, but I have come back very empty. And her and Ruth arrive back in Bethlehem. They're with God's people. They're with God's presence. But they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know who's going to provide for them. And last week, you met Boaz. Boaz, it means strength is in this one. And he's a single, successful businessman. He owns a big field. He lets Ruth glean in his field. And not only does he let her glean, but he takes a little interest in Ruth. And he tells his men, hey, y'all protect this person. He lets her drink from the water the men have gathered. He invites her to eat at his table. And he gives her this generous portion of grain. And as you're reading chapter 2, you're beginning to think, hey, there could be a little Cinderella story happening here. But time is running out. The harvest is almost over, and once the harvest is over, people scatter. So there's limited time if Ruth and Boaz are actually going to connect. So it's time to step it up a little bit, and that's where we pick up chapter 3, because Naomi has a plan. And so we've already read the verses, but I love to read the verses and just talk about them. So if you've got your Bible, keep it open. We're going to jump into these verses and just unpack them together. So let's look at the first two verses together. Naomi's beginning to formulate a plan. Verse 1, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you so that you will be taken care of? Verse 2, now isn't Boaz our relative? Can't you see the wheels beginning to turn in Naomi's mind? Haven't you been working with his female servants this evening? He will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Now, Naomi is fond of Boaz. She's going to do a little matchmaking, something I'm sure you ladies love when your mom does this. The question you might ask is, why in the world is Naomi fond of Boaz? Why does she think he might be a good match for Ruth? Well, Naomi's reasoning is actually the opposite of a lot of ours. The number one reason I get all the time for why someone wants to date others is the number one reason not to date someone. Listen, the number one reason not to date someone is they're so hot. So is hell. And hotness only goes so far. 
And Naomi thinks Boaz could be a good match because our boy loves the Lord and has a job. <laughs> so if you ladies want a checklist, does he love Jesus, have a job, and a Bible? And not one that's got cellophane on it. Like, look, I bought a Bible. One that he reads. And 96% of you will get married one day, but you don't need a man to complete you. You don't need a man to step into your calling and your purpose and your destiny. Jesus is more than enough right now for you to be everything he wants you to be. And she longs for Boaz because this dude is a man of noble character and his intimacy with God radiates from his life. He's got character and integrity Generosity, he cares for the outsider and the marginalized. And I'll tell you boys in here, we need more Boaz type of men like this because a lot of the ills and the pains and the struggle in our land today are not primarily a result of policies or politics. Most of the issues that we face are a result of a lack of godly that refuse to step up and lead and be like Jesus. And Naomi says, hey man, this guy, he's got a character, he's got integrity. He would be a good match for you. And we're praying more godly men like this into our campuses. We are praying them into this place called Kairos. And this is a great place to learn, be equipped and grow. So don't leave here tonight with taking a next step or Getting in a Bible reading group, talk to somebody. They will help you learn what it means. So Naomi's like, hey, we need to, we need to set up an arrangement between you and Boaz. So let's, let's look back at the text because Naomi's got a plan. Now, Naomi's a shrewd older woman, and admittedly, her plan in the next couple of verses is a little, is a little sketch. Let's, let's look at it, verses 3 through 5. Look what she tells her. Wash... Put on perfumed oil and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you were there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. So Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. Am I the only person that has a little bit of a problem with this? <laughs> Ruth, listen, every time Boaz has seen you, you've been gleaning in his field. You're sweaty, you're dirty, you got dirt under your fingernails, hair's up in a bun. No, 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 girl, it's makeover time. <laughs> Let's get you all dressed up, make sure you smell good. Let him have a few drinks, get his stomach full, because men are always more persuaded when we're full. And then make your move. Hello, what? I have two daughters. And there is no way I'm telling my daughters, listen, it's a big football game tonight. After the win, the boys are going to be celebrating. After they've eaten good and drank good and lie down, go lay at his feet and do whatever he says. I'm not doing it. And look, Boaz is a man of noble character. Ruth is a godly woman. And we know how the story ends. But that doesn't mean that Naomi gets a gold star of parenting for this advice. <laughs> Naomi's actually the one that told Orpah, hey, just go back to your gods. So 
So she already has missteps in her past. And in this instance, I think Naomi has really good motive, but less than ideal execution. So this should remind you that you can do the right thing in the wrong way. And so if you're wondering, well, how do I deal with this text? What, what do I do with it? Well, the Bible is often descriptive and not prescriptive. What, what do you mean by that? Well, the Bible sometimes just describes for you what happened. God is honest about what happened. This is the most honest book ever written because God leaves all the messy parts just messy. But that doesn't mean that everything is prescriptive in there. And again, remember, this isn't just a story about Ruth and Boaz. This is a story ultimately about the kindness and goodness and graciousness of our God who doesn't allow your failures to be final, who makes beauty out of chaos and gives never-ending, never-stopping, always and forever love. This is a description of our God even in the midst of unfortunate circumstances or maybe not the right decision still controls the circumstances for his good. So it's descriptive. But it's not prescriptive for you to head to the threshing floor and lay at someone's feet. Amen? Now, if you're wondering what the threshing floor was, this is what would happen at the end of the harvest. And so, been overseas many times, if you've been to developing countries, when they gather the grain and they collect it, they literally put it on mats and they beat it out and they throw the grain up in the air and the wind separates the wheat from the chaff and what's left the grain that's how they know how much money they've made that's the harvest and it's the last day that everyone's together so it's a day of feasting and celebrating and Ruth goes there to meet with Boaz because as soon as the harvest is over and they've done this she doesn't have a reason to connect anymore so Naomi tells her to do that now let's look let's look back at the text pick it up in verse 6 so she that's Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had charged her to do. And after Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley. They always slept, the master of the harvest, or someone would sleep with the grain until it was collected and distributed to ward off thieves and theft. So that's what he's doing there. And she, that's Ruth, came in secretly like a ninja. I added that, it's not in the text uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight, Boaz was startled, and he turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. So he asked, who are you? I am Ruth, she said, your servant. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. If you take notes in your Bible or highlight or on your digital device, just highlight the word family redeemer, because that's that's incredible what just happened here in verse 9. This really gives you the heart of God of what's happening here. Look back at verse 9 at the end. She says, take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. And that word redeemer, it, it's a powerful word. In Hebrew, it's the word goel. And in English, it could be literally translated like next of kin. But in, in ancient Israel, it meant so much more than that. And the, the meaning of the word is like kinsman redeemer. So listen, like this is what it meant. So a kinsman redeemer, they had obligations and they had to perform any duty that another man in their family could not perform for his family. They were unable to perform a duty. The kinsman redeemer had to step in. If a man died, the kinsman redeemer stepped in. So if they had land that needed cultivated, they'd take care of the land. 
If they had land that needed to be sold, they would take care of that. They would provide for the family. If the family was sold into slavery, they would buy them back. The kinsman redeemer became the provider, became the protector, the defender, and he had to adopt them into his family and say, you're now my family. I will step in and do for you what someone else could not. And Ruth suggests to Boaz, hey, you know, you happen to be the Goel of Naomi's family. And she says, hey, would you place your wing over me? That's a euphemism for marriage. And she isn't like instigating a proposal here. That's out of bounds for her to do. She couldn't do that. She's, she's not doing that. More than, more than that, listen, she's, she's a widow who's homeless, who's helpless, who came from Moab. And she's talking to a wealthy landowner. She's, she's not instigating a proposal. Here's, here's what she's doing. Ruth is saying, I don't, I don't have anything to offer in this moment. In fact, in the first century, a slave would often lay at the feet of their master to keep them warm. So coming in there and laying at his feet, what she's saying is, I got nothing. I'm in the position of slave. You're in the position of master. I got a lot of baggage. I got a lot of shame. I got this mother-in-law back. <laughs> I, I'm really helpless and hopeless. But would you accept me? And listen, don't, don't accept me because of who I am. And don't accept me because of where I'm from. And don't accept me because of what I've done or what I haven't done. Accept me because of who you are. You're the redeemer. And so as the redeemer, would you choose me? Because if you choose me, I'll say yes. One of the reasons why I love this book so much is not because it's, and it's fun to read and there's so much life in it. But there's so much gospel rich content here in this moment. This interaction like screams and declares the heart of God when you see it. Because Ruth in this moment is a beautiful example of the gospel. She's unworthy. She's poor with nothing to offer. She's a no one from nowhere. She doesn't have a play in this moment, but she says, hey, if, if you would accept me, I'll say, yeah. I can't choose you, but if you would choose me, I'm all in. And that's, that's the same situation the Bible says that you and I find ourselves in before a holy God. And regardless of what you think about yourself, we are no ones from nowhere with sin and shame and baggage and failure and our own stories of Moab. And we don't get to just stroll up into heaven and say, hey, Redeemer, I'm here. No, we have to posture ourselves like a slave before the master. If you would choose me, you don't have to, but if you would, if you would redeem me, if you would step in and do for me what I can't do for myself, I promise I'll say yes. Now, I love Ruth's story because her past is so full of failure and dysfunction that it makes me believe maybe even I've got a shot. 
And see, the good news of the gospel is, and write this down. If you don't take notes, write this down. Your past, listen to me, your past doesn't get to define you anymore. Jesus does. Your past doesn't get to define you anymore. Jesus does. And the Bible says God's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to everlasting life. And Jesus has stepped in as our redeemer to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The gospel is good news. And it's not a religion. What Kairos calls you to here is not a religion. They call you to a gospel. Because listen, a religion is all about what you do to earn God's favor. Religion says, you want to earn God's favor? Do this. The gospel says, you already have God's favor because Jesus did that. Religion says, hey, I need to obey so that I might be accepted. The gospel says, because of Christ, I'm already accepted. Now I choose to obey. What you're seeing play out here between Ruth and Boaz is a glorious picture on the threshing room floor of the gospel. All those years ago, God was telling you, hey, the same good news of a redeemer is available to you. So that's what's happening here. Now, what we've got to wait and see is how Boaz is going to respond. So look back at verse 10. And let's see how our boy Boaz responds. Then he, that's Boaz, says, may the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before because you have not pursued younger men whether rich or poor. Now, don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Verse 12, yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer. Woohoo! What's the next word? But there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight and in the morning. If he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will now lie down till morning. And I love verse 10 and 11 because he talks about Ruth's obedience and her character. Listen, there are blessings in obedience that God provides. And this is not a prosperity gospel statement, but you need to know when you walk with Christ and you follow his ways, there's blessings that come in obedience. And he's talking about how she is a woman of obedience and high character. When you think about character, I know this room is full of a lot of high capacity people with high callings on your life, but listen to me, your calling will only take you as far as your character will keep you. And he's like, you, you are a woman of great obedience and great character, and, and, and I will do that here. But then did you notice the drama? Hey, I'd love to step in, but there's actually somebody a little bit closer that has another claim on your life. Stay here, hang out, I'll go work it out, we'll, we'll touch base again. And then he's going to send Ruth back to Naomi. Look at verse 14 through 18. So she lay down his feet until morning. But got up while it was still dark. Then Boaz says, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. 
And he told Ruth, bring the shawl that you're wearing and hold it out. And when he held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl, and she went into the town. And she went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked her, can't y'all just picture her sitting in a rocking chair all night long going, where's she at, where's she at, what happened, what happened, I just love it. (laughs) What happened, my daughter? And Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. And she said, he gave me these six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And Naomi said, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest until he resolves this today. A little bit of tension that has to be worked out. But what I love here at the end is what we see in the life of Boaz. Because what Boaz is doing in this moment is he's pouring life into others. He goes above what the law requires and just pours out grace on grace on grace. Naomi left Bethlehem full. Her name meant pleasant. She got to Moab and felt like life was taken away from her. She came back. She said, don't call me that now. Call me bitter and my hands are empty. And Boaz is sending Ruth back full because he's going to not only pour life into Ruth, he's going to pour life into others. And Boaz doesn't have to pursue Ruth. He wants to. He doesn't have to pursue her. There's someone with a closer claim on her life. He could have said, look, thanks for coming. Appreciate everything you did. But there's a guy who's closer. It's his deal. I'm out. He didn't have to do that. He protected her. He looked after her. On this threshing room floor could have been a very unsavory moment. But he protected her purity. He said, hey, stay here because I'll treat you right. I don't know the other men around here, but you stay here next to me. So he protected her purity, protected her safety, he protected her integrity. Stay here and leave before light so you can go home before dark so nobody sees anything, nothing happened, but I'm gonna take care of your purity, your integrity, and your dignity. And guys, if you're not doing that, for the women that God has put around you, protecting their integrity and their purity and their safety and their dignity, then you are out of step with God and you are disrespecting his daughters and you are disrespecting my sisters. We need to stop. One of the reasons why pornography is so damaging is because you're training yourself to demean, dehumanize, and devalue an image bearer of God. Boaz said, I'm going to take care of you. And yeah, someone else has a claim on your life. But let me see what I can work out. And Ruth and Naomi, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for their redeemer. Because they can't deliver themselves from the trouble that they found themselves in. They, They have a need that they can't provide for. They need a redeemer to do for them what they can't do for themselves. That's the same situation we find ourselves in. We need someone to be the hero in our story. We need someone to be the savior of our story that 
just like Ruth and Naomi, we're at the end of our resources. We have to have someone to step in. And what I love about this story is there's a lot of pain in Bethlehem up until this point. Man, there's famines and there's failures. They feel forgotten. Ruth and Naomi are looking for hope. And Boaz goes above what the law requires and pours out grace. And when you end chapter 3, it seems like hope is just kind of bubbling up in Bethlehem. It feels like hope is kind of beginning to burst forth. But, but spoiler alert, that's not the only time that hope burst forth in Bethlehem. Because maybe you finished the book, maybe you haven't, but, but Boaz and Ruth are actually going to connect. They're actually going to get married. They're actually going to have a son, and his name is Obed. And Obed is going to have a son who has a son, and his name is King David. And King David's going to have a son that has a son that has a son that has a son who ultimately has a son whose name is Jesus. And hope arrived ultimately in Bethlehem years later. And not as some earthly kinsman redeemer, but as the heavenly redeemer. And I love the tension in chapter 3. Hey, time out. There's someone else who has a claim on your life. Let me go work it out. I mean, it's, there's even a gospel picture in that. Because whether you know it or not, there, there's a claim on our life, too. Ephesians 2 says we're dead in our sins and our trespasses. The claim on our life is the grave. And Boaz is going to have to go negotiate with this other guy. Hey, here's Ruth, and there's all this stuff, and there's a mother-in-law. What do you think? But Jesus didn't negotiate with anybody. He left heaven, came to earth, was crucified, buried, but then kicked the end out of a borrowed tomb to rise again as the ultimate redeemer. And so as you continue to encounter the book of Ruth, there's two things you need to walk away with. One, your past doesn't get to define you anymore. Jesus does. And if you're not a follower of Jesus in here tonight, why not? There's a team that will pray with you. There's a team that will talk with you. There's a team that will celebrate with you. Why not tonight give your life to Jesus? Encounter your Redeemer and find the life that you desperately long for. And for those of you who are believers, stop letting competing voices win in your mind. Allow what the voice of our Savior says about you, declares over you, the destinies that he's created for you determine your future. Amen? And so, God, tonight, we glory in your word. We celebrate the good news of the gospel. Thank you that our past doesn't define us anymore, that Jesus does. And thank you that not only was there a kinsman redeemer for Ruth, but man, there was a redeemer, a heavenly redeemer for all people named Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.